What's up, Overcomers? Welcome to another episode of the Overcoming You Podcast. I am your host, Josh Kennedy. Thank you once again for tuning in. My guest today is a good buddy of mine, Brandon. He's a personal trainer. He's an ex-wrestler and an all-around intelligent individual. And this episode is basically broken up into kind of two sections. The first section is basically talking about his wrestling career. And if that's not your cup of tea, don't worry about it. Just replace the word wrestling with starting a business. Replace wrestling with physical fitness. Replace wrestling with your relationship. Because the learnings that he teaches or the tips and tricks or the way he overcame his wrestling career and the times he didn't want to go through, the times he didn't want to continue on, it's the same thing that will happen through all the others. And if that still isn't your cup of tea, no problem. I recommend just fast forward to minute 40 because we really get into some really good context, some really good dialogue. And this man is really, really intelligent. He's got a wealth of knowledge. And I'm just really, really lucky to call him a friend. I'm really, really lucky to have him on the podcast. And I know for a matter of fact, you're going to have, you're going to learn a ton of things from him. And hopefully you learn some things on how to overcome your life's challenges. So please welcome my friend today, Brandon. The, the missteps and the mistakes and the failures and like the quitting and then coming back and the guilt felt from that, like it was all kind of teaching because now like when you're an adult, the, the failure has bigger consequences. So you can't really be afraid to fail. Otherwise, you'll never take action. And that brings me to my guest today, a good buddy of mine, Mr. Brandon. How are you? Thanks for doing this. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Cheers. So Brandon is uh, beer beer on a Saturday. It's delicious. Brandon is a individual that has done, in my opinion, as far as physical, the hardest uh, sport in the entire world as far as mental push, mental fortitude, and that is being a wrestler. He's wrestled throughout his entire, um, basically his entire career. He's a personal fitness trainer. Um, he looks like he's chiseled out of out of freaking granite or something. I think he's got like a half a percent body fat. But if you talk to anybody, if you listen to any sort of UFC podcast, any sort of MMA podcast, NFL podcast, when they talk about wrestlers, they all talk about, I don't know what the fuck. I don't know how the hell you guys do that. The, the shit that you have to go through and the cutting of the weight and, and um, the schedule that you keep is just absolutely astronomical. And that's kind of what I want to talk, talk to you today about. So I want to kind of get into just because I'm fascinated about some of the workouts and stuff that you did and have done. And But I want to go through the times when during your when your thoughts maybe weren't like, fuck, can I still do this? Like, why am I doing this? Or the times when you didn't think you could do it and what you do to overcome it. And now, you know, how's that affected you in some of your personal life and harvesting that, that um, mental toughness that, that you had. So does that kind of make sense? Sure. Yeah. Sounds good. Cool. So let's kind of just start uh, just a brief background, kind of where, did, where were you born? Mom, dad, um, brother, sister. Sure. Uh, I grew up in Connecticut in the New Haven area, um, town called Guilford. My parents and my brother, it's a small town, like 20,000 people went to public high school from there. Um, went to college in Springfield, Massachusetts, Springfield College, and then uh, after school moved out to Los Angeles, and I've been here ever since. Okay, cool. When did you start wrestling? Uh, middle school, so about eighth grade. So not huh. pretty late for. Is it is that late? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Compared to like the upper echelon of people, yeah. 
so like the Olympics and stuff like that, they start y- yes. in grade school or? Uh, yeah, I mean, you'd see kids like four years old, like, really, you know, teaching youth camps. Yeah. How how old are we in eighth grade? Was that? I think we're like eleven or twelve. Eleven or twelve. Twelve. Yeah. What uh, what do you do the sport? Uh, so I played soccer, and I wasn't that good at soccer, so I couldn't make the travel team anymore. So I decided I didn't want to play, you know, just yeah. middle school boys are the worst kind of people. So uh, I just gave up. Um, and my mom was sick of me being in the house. My next door neighbor, who was my best friend, he played uh, football. So he made a deal that he would convince the coach that I could play football with him if I then did wrestling too that next that season that winter. Okay. So I did football and then I had to uphold my end of the bargain. But I was a smaller kid. I was only like maybe like five, one or two and like 130 pounds. So football was like, I was okay. But then wrestling, it's all weight classes, so I was like instantly good. Really? Right. So it was, it was like the feedback loop was immediate. Yeah. So I just kind of got hooked. I wasn't very good, but in my mind, it was fun. Right. So and very quickly, like I had begun uh, like going in through puberty. So like I went from being like a chubby kid to like the all the training and stuff, even at the very low middle school level, like had a positive impact. So yeah. And um, my parents always kind of coached me. I'm like, if you start something, you finish it. So went through that first year, still wasn't good, like started off not winning at all and then just winning a little bit. But there was enough like positive feedback that I was in so that when I went to high school, it was like, okay, football and wrestling are going to be my thing. Did you play both in high school? Yeah, all the way through. Um, But again, never got that big. So football, I was decent at for like the low level competition that we had in Connecticut. But wrestling, since it was weight class based, I had like much more opportunity. Okay. So I want to get into just because I'm like legitimately super intrigued. So in high school, never good in in basically any sport, but I love all, all sports. But if I was, my best sport was basketball. And when we would do like summer sprinting, I would always see the wrestlers and they do this like weird fucking thing where the heavyweights or the people that are heavier, they put the smaller guy on their back and then just run around. Mm-hmm. Like almost like a little like a jockey on a horse. Yeah. Like uh so I want to go through what are some of like crazy workouts that you went through? Oh, like the training? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean there's definitely this like you know, wrestling is considered to be the oldest sport, right? So it has its origins in ancient Greece. Um so there's this this long, long history of sport and this idea that like you know, minimalist training, right? Which is very popular now, like functional fitness and things like that. Well, that's like wrestling was the original, like functional fitness, minimalist training. So using your partner because you throw your partner as a weight to train makes, you know, it's a natural evolution. So like carrying your buddy and partners. So I went, when I was in high school, I was, I kind of got into the training. I was obsessed with it. That was like the aspect because I felt like you know, people can be more athletic than you or more talented, but you can, the nice thing is the great equalizer was work ethic. So I felt like that was my kind of like, I wasn't super athletic or talented, but I could always work harder than everyone. And in the end, when we got on the mat, it would even out. Um, so I went to a camp, I saved, I worked all summer and I saved up money for the following summer going into my senior year to go to this camp out in Minnesota. So it was a month long, four workouts a day, every day. It was my first time away from home from my parents. Um, and you, you like dormed with other wrestlers and you just worked out four times a day, like crazy stuff. We had to do one time, it was a five mile run out. Um, but you had to carry your partner with you. So you could only run if you had your partner on your back or you were on your partner's back. Same, same weight class or did no. you, did you get to So like my like partner a... was like a hundred and like almost 200 pounds. And in high school, like it depended on the season playing football or wrestling. But yeah. when I wrestled and I was in like good shape now, I was like 160. 
right? So you're 160 and your partner's 200. 210, something like that, yeah. So just running and like Minnesota actually surprisingly gets hot in the summer. (laughs) Um, And I think just the experience of almost like like uh, barracks living with like just staying there. Like all you do is practice. You like did two wrestling sessions and two conditioning sessions. And like the whole reason for that camp was like to teach mental toughness, right? Like, yeah, it sucks. Your friends are all like doing whatever with their summer vacation. You're here basically in the military doing this. Like, so it was to discipline you and like teach you like the overcoming mentality that like you worked harder than everyone else. Therefore you should beat everyone else. Yeah. I, I, it feels like you got the shit end of the deal with that running because you got a 210 pound guy. He's yeah. got a little, fl- little flyweight 160. I mean, not that 160 is light, but still. It, if we're fair though, I'm pretty sure he carried me further within the five oh, miles. Oh, got, so, got, yeah. got it. Yeah. Maybe the total work coefficient was the same. I don't know, but he might have a different end of the story that the right. kid never carried him the whole time. So, so that's, I want to go back a sec cause that's pretty impressive. So I want to know how, because at your, what are you, 16, 17, going into, into senior year? 17, 17, yeah. So you're 17. So me, my whole thought process at 17 was, how can I get as much ass as humanly possible <laughs> yeah. and still play basketball? Because I thought that's the way I could get chicks. Yeah. And party on the weekends. And if I can skip out of a practice or something, I would skip out of a practice. What makes you at a 17 year old go, I want to, not only do I want to go to work like a physical job and earn money to pay for it, yeah, but then I want to go give that money so I can go physically work on the craft of, of wrestling. Like, if you looking back, where'd you get that from? That's pretty impressive. Like, I'm not, I'm not giving you a line of bullshit. Oh, I, pretty- I appreciate it. I think. At the time, though, like I don't want to give myself too much credit. It was like the only avenue that I saw. So one of the big things that was always instilled in me because I came from a blue collar family was that like the one thing you can control is your work ethic. So that's like the one thing, no matter where you come from, that's the thing you have on people. Mm -hmm. So this is like the thing that's preached in my house growing up. Um, And then when I got to high school, I found wrestling to be a sport that the harder you worked, the better you got. Mm -hmm. Right. Like football, if you're small, you're small. Like it's, it doesn't matter how you work. You're never going to be six, five. Like that's, you know, but with weight classes, if you outwork people, you win. So that was just kind of like reinforced by that, you know, the culture of the sport. Um, and I think the support system that I had around me, especially the coaches and stuff like with wrestling, because it requires discipline outside of the practice room in terms of diet and things like that, there wasn't room for like distraction, especially during the season. Mm -hmm. Um, and I never really, you know, I was kind of either naive or like sort of like never got into like drinking or drugs or partying too much. Like I would hang out with people that were doing it, but I was good about pushing it away when I was in high school, almost out of fear and like a misunderstanding of what it was and like what my identity was related to it. But I just didn't, those things were not distractions for me. Like I still went out with people and like hung out, but I hadn't like partaken yet. So I didn't have that part. So for me, like the things I got positive feedback from all involved wrestling. So And this is something I had identified. Like I saw some older kids within the state that achieved things that I wanted to achieve. And uh, they had attended this camp. So I thought it was just kind of like, well, if I want to be where they are next year, this is what I have to do. Yeah. So you said something. You said you got positive feedback. Mm -hmm. Did that start? um, Not to keep jumping back and forth, but did that start back in like eighth grade? Like you were doing something, got kind of positive feedback. And then you started in high school, got positive feedback from coaches it seems like the reason why I asked that is because that's once again, that's very, very for the average 
high schooler at that that time it's very very odd odd in a good way of not wanting to fit in and not wanting to go to the party and if everybody's drinking to drink you know be with the cool kids or be a cool kid or whatever yeah and just not partake and stuff like that so it's interesting or let me let me ask you so that's kind of that's what i'm hearing is that you got a lot of that feedback early mm-hmm. and that's where you sought out or received a bunch of adulation versus the party party scene would that be correct yeah i think like you know as males we seek status yeah. right so like a big thing is seeking status so like we're all looking especially as in teenage years to develop what our identity is and like where we can gain status right yeah. some people do it through negative behaviors other through positive so you have students that excel academically that's their positive feedback loop so this this thing that i was good at that was efficacious to me because the harder i worked the better i got had a very positive feedback loop yeah. and that ultimately like everyone within my community like my high school community knew me as the person that was good at this thing. Yeah. Right. So then like you, you live up to that identity or it's self-fulfilling kind of thing. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. I never really thought about that because looking back at my high school career, I be a little, I'm a little self-deprecating, but I definitely was in the, the, I definitely was, my identity was the life of the party. So I would be the first person on top of the, the island in the kitchen, you know, down in a beer, I'd be the first person. And that's what I grew a lot of identity. Now to the listeners or to, to you realize that usually that person is very, 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 very fucking insecure. And it's an over reach for that. So I think there was a big lesson that you just told everybody and I hope they heard it and you learned it probably subconsciously is that you got your, identity or you got your feed positive feedback or you got your adulation from a positive source not a negative source like i did mm-hmm. you know and that's something really really good because then i would much much rather have everybody be working out and not drinking and stuff like that in, in high school than yeah. doing what i did you know yeah. doing drugs drinking and all that type of stuff so that's that's you're really really lucky that you found that early and it kind of put that in you i think so i mean i think i had i was surrounded by people that were directing me yeah. behind the scenes towards that that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, I was got, I mean, it wasn't like later on in my life, like there were struggles with once, once wrestling's over, like, what do I do? Or once like, I'm not as successful, what is my identity if I'm not good at this thing anymore? But like at that time, like it were it worked well and it was like an important time for that to be yeah. important, like in my life. Okay. So sorry, going back to that, you were, you worked all summer, you got the money, you went to this um, camp, you're carrying a 200 pound, 210 pound, Dude on your back. Yeah. Sorry, just for my own thing. Tell me some other. Oh, some other, some other things to do. Tell me about the time you threw up. I'm uh, sure there was a time, right? Yes. Yeah, so, yes. Yes. Uh, of course. Um, we used to do like so. It was very hot. It was like an unusually hot summer. So we would do. We were in a big. It was an indoor like uh, football practice room. But imagine like 16 wrestling mats, like hundreds of kids. It's like 110 degrees, and we're just like drilling and drilling and drilling. So like moving around, drilling moves, like shadow wrestling and stuff. And it's basically just they're trying to get people to quit like over and over you go, you throw up. But like, I think one of the themes here is like being surrounded by people that are all going yeah. through the same thing. Right. So like if you're the, like the lone soldier, it's very difficult. But when you're like, when you see another kid puke and come back, it's okay. Yeah. But I remember doing like a three hour session there, throwing up. There was one, so we had to do, there were stairs in the building and we had to do what's called a farmer's carry. So you take like two dumbbells and you walk up and down the stairs and I think it was like 45 minutes and like, they were like, do not put the dumbbells down for 45 minutes. You just go up and down the stairs. You don't stop. 
And like that was one. They there was mm. one time they we got woken up in the middle of the night to go run like ten miles at like three a.m. They came and like knocked woke everybody up. Yeah, there was uh, we had to walk for like I think a mile with like holding a weight over our heads or something like that. Yeah, yeah just like pretty tough. Do you think looking back now as a as an adult that they were doing that on purpose to try to kind of work your mind out to be like hey you can do more and you can be more maybe not in that those like the um self-help book terms and stuff like that i don't yeah. mean to make it like a all thing all thing but yeah the the reason why i say that in in not just to um connect is that when once i finished my marathon i just did i all of a sudden it like broke down barriers yeah. in my mind physically because I never in a million years, I fucking hate running. I hate it with a fiery passion. Like, you don't understand. Same. Like, I would gladly fight John Jones or Mike Tyson before go running another marathon. Yeah. I fucking hate it. But it really, really broke these, like, limitations and stuff off. Do you think looking back, do you think that's what they were doing, whether knowing or unknowing? Yeah, absolutely. Sure. I mean, I think, like... We, you know, you're, we have a governor on ourselves, right? Like, so we're programmed to be conservative by nature. So the species survives. So we're not going to overreach unless outside forces push us. Right. So I think they were trying to teach us that, like, you've only tapped into a tiny percent of what you're capable of, you know, like, oh, it hurts. You should stop. No, keep going. Oh, I guess it didn't, I could go further in each time. So yeah, I think you need to be pushed into that level. And then once you have that and instills in you this sense of like, well, my opponent didn't do this shit. Yeah. Right. Like they didn't, they, I know they didn't do this, you know, like who was, who was up at 4am in July, they yeah. were sleeping till 10am, like, you know, that kind of thing. So I think a hundred percent, like, especially because the wrestling season starts in November and this camp was in the middle of the summer, like the skills you learn won't be sharp by then, but the lessons you learn about mental toughness and things, those kind of last and yeah. persist forever. Um, so I think that was really the the purpose of the camp was to teach you about like what you were capable of. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in wrestling or in MMA, it probably even holds more true, but it's definitely a life, life lesson. Um, the quote goes, it is impossible to beat a human being that refuses to quit. Yeah. It is impossible. And it's something when you, when I first heard that, cause I heard this years ago, actually my buddy uh, told me about it probably forget who i'm quoting but told me about that quote like four years ago and you understand it intellectually yeah but then once you go through something like going through a marathon or going through a, a wrestling camp and you're like oh if i just don't quit i will succeed yeah and it's something then you start to understand it emotionally yeah and then it really starts to like expand yeah but you have to push through that that fucking barrier of where you don't think you can do it yeah type of stuff in in Either you got to surround yourself like you did with people that will make you do it. Yeah. Or if you're just one of those gifted mental human beings that could do it on your own, which I'm definitely not. Yeah. Uh, but one way or another, <laughs> got to do it. Yeah. That's tough. So you're in, you're in high school. You finished that camp. Is that going into the senior year? Yeah. That so that was going into senior year. So how'd senior year go for you wrestling wise? Uh, senior year went pretty well. So like expectations were high. Like I had done well my junior year. Uh, I forgot where I finished in the state, but it was pretty high up. And then uh, Connecticut by no means is like a wrestling mecca or anything like that. But yeah, I think my senior year went well. I won my conference. So I'd won my conference like three years. So we had like conference and then divisionals, states, and then New England. Right. So like um, going up. So I like won my conference. I ended up losing to a kid that I'd gone back and forth with in divisionals. And then I got beat in the in the state tournament and had to what they call wrestle back. So 
it's a it's a double elimination bracket. So you have two sides of the bracket. They move mm-hmm. towards one another. Um, if you lose, you drop into what's called the losers bracket at the bottom. Okay. So if you're if you are a top seed, right? You wrestle the low seeds. So say you're like seed one, you wrestle seed sixteen, and just like you know, kind of like the basketball tournament. Yeah. But so if you're top seed and you just keep winning, you only wrestle like three or four times in the weekend. But if you lose, especially if you lose early, you wrestle a ton more because mm. as people keep dropping down, they have to wrestle you, right? Got so it. I lost early. Okay. I just wasn't for whatever reason I lost early, so I had to what's called wrestle back. So not to give myself any credit, but this is a commonly held belief in a lot of uh, circles within the community that like taking third is much harder than taking second. Why, why is that? That's interesting. Well, because the person who takes second won all the way till they lost. But the person who takes third lost oh. and then mentally had to get back in to win all the way back to take third. Got it. Right? So like you suffer defeat and then you have to overcome it and then get back and compete at a high level all the way through. Yeah. So I was notorious for taking third. <laughs> so ah. but it like almost <laughs> took that to wake me up. So like I would my in high school initially and then when I got to college, like I would always take third, take yeah. third, take third because it would almost take that like get the jitters out get that first one out of the way, like lose, make a mistake, and then be like, well, now there's no pressure, right? Because yeah. I already lost, right? But when there was pressure, it was more challenging. So, yeah. So, and then uh, I don't think I placed at New England's. I had I had surgery. So there's two weeks between that and New England's, and I had to have surgery that I've been holding off for the year. And then that was kind of it for high school. I already knew where I was going to college. What surgery did you have? Uh, I had surgery um on my ear weirdly like not affecting the wrestling in any way yeah but the only thing that it affected was i wasn't able to um practice leading up to it not that that would have made a difference but yeah um, i just remember having surgery and then take off your thing do you have have the cauliflower ear oh you do a little bit yeah so i'd have a little bit on both sides but um yeah that was my mom's insistence that so like going into the the state like series like leading up like every we'd have the tournament friday saturday or saturday sunday and then i'd be in the er that night with people pulling blood yeah and so finally it got to the point that we just went to the pharmacy and got needles for like diabetic needles and then you just kind of pull it out yourself but it had gotten kind of infected so we had to go (laughs) so um my mom finally was like i don't want you she's like you're already not pretty so we don't want to make it worse so we had to go get the basically the the tissue was kind of like my ear was like falling off a little bit. Kind oh of my thing. God. So we had to go to the doctor and they put it, put it back together. So it looks like, unless you know what you're looking at, like I don't have it horrendous. I have some friends with some pretty yeah. ugly ears, but yeah. So that was, that was high school. I always thought it'd be fucking hilarious if like, if like some wrestler or, or UFC fighter or something, you know, has like a super gnarly fucking cauliflower ear. However, like that's his like sexual spot. And so and so he has to like tell the chick like hey you got you got you got to lick this yeah. like nasty ass here like oh uh, yeah, that <laughs> would just be a bad, special woman bad fetish <laughs> the the gross thing is so when they repair it because it's cartilage the sutures don't adhere well so they can't just stitch it up like if you do your skin yeah uh, so they have to put gauze into it that fills with the blood and everything that's draining out so you walk around with like this sewn in piece of bloody like pussy gauze. So when I went to high school, I would wear like a winter hat. Over it oh to my God. Yeah. I had it like it got pulled out on the mat one time. Just like blood. It's nasty. Yeah. It sounds delicious. Stuff, so, yeah. It sounds delicious. I feel like pasta now. <laughs> oh, it looks like tortellini, right? It's just yeah. Like all... Oh God. 
anyway, uh, moving forward. So you get out of high school and you go, you said you already knew where you're cruising to college. So yep. where'd you end up going to college? So my high school coach was an alumni from uh, Springfield College in Massachusetts. And he kind of talked to the head coach there. Um, and they just communicated basically like back and forth. And that was sort of like, oh, they called. They're like, you're in. You want to come here? Cool. Yeah. I wasn't like highly sought after recruit. Again, Connecticut's not like a sure. big, big wrestling uh, state. Yeah. Um, but just that relationship between the two of them. And then I'd had enough success. Um, and my grades are good enough. So I went there. Um, and it was only like 90 minutes from where I grew yeah. up. I grew up in southern Connecticut. It's in southern Massachusetts. So not far. Okay. So this is complete sidebar and probably totally all of my ignorance but when i hear connecticut why do i think of like a bunch of rich people <laughs> yeah am I, do i have that right or yeah I, yeah oh, i mean why do i have fairfield that? county right which is on the border with new york okay um so that would be in the the western part of the state is very affluent right oh. greenwich fairfield county oh, got um it. so that area i mean connecticut as a whole would be considered a more affluent state um i grew up in a i was lucky enough to grow up in a, a nice a very nice town suburban town but you know, it was like I came, my family is very much like a working class family. Um, but yeah, I mean, relative to, you know, having lived here and worked in East LA for a long time. I mean, I definitely grew up in a very privileged environment. Yeah. Nice. So going back to college, so going from high school to college, tell me about that, about that jump. Was that a, I don't know, culture shock's probably too wrong. Was that like, holy shit, these guys are legit. Yeah. So, um, the culture shock is for sure with college, right? Yeah. Because I lived this like monastic lifestyle in high school. Um, and all of a sudden, like all reins were off. So that was one thing. Uh, the other thing was that now I sucked, right? So I had been a very big fish in a small pond, yeah. so to speak. Uh, and now it was a small fish in a very big pond being like the whole country basically. So, yeah. and within my own team, I was very small and insignificant. When I, when I got to school, there's only 10 weight classes in college as opposed to 14 in high school. And at my weight class, my the whatever weight that I kind of had predicted I would be in college, above, at, and below were all returning All-Americans. So oh! there was like no chance of me ever participating at a varsity level yeah. um, that, that season. And I thought very highly of myself going into this. Uh, and then I quickly learned that I was not any good. Um, not only to those kids, but the recruits that had come from more competitive states like New Jersey and Pennsylvania yeah. and New York that were freshmen as well were kicking my ass too. So <laughs> right. it was like everything that I thought I was or thought I had learned was kind of flipped on its head. Um, so that was that was tough. The freshman season was, was kind of rough to get my bearings throughout that time. So yeah. And I mean, the culture shock, like now I was partying a ton, like way too much. Right. I'd never really been drinking or partying and now it was like unlimited um, right. To the point that I was getting in trouble at school and stuff like that. My grades weren't great the first semester. Yeah. Um, so there was definitely like a rough transition for me having come from a very like not being like you were talking about, like having a view of the larger world, sort of like doing some partying, playing some sports. I'd only really played the sports. Right. Okay. So now I didn't know how to balance the two things. Yep. Um, so there was a, a hard lessons to learn how to balance those two things. Yeah. You know, I just had a couple other podcasts in one was a really high-level Olympic athlete, and then one was this awesome gal. Um, they'll be coming out, or maybe they'll be out by the time this comes out. I'm not sure. But they both said the exact same thing. You know, As they were going up through the rings, you get to this level, and all of a sudden you are, quote-unquote, the best, or you are the shit. And then what happens is that either you, you stay there and you're blissfully ignorant of how 
maybe how much better that people are that you don't know about yeah. or you level up. So like you did, you leveled up to college. Then all of a sudden, you know, your kind of ego was pushed down a little bit. You know, you went from all that in a bag of chips to now you're low man on the totem pole. Yeah. And you kind of do one or two things. Either you have to figure out how to deal with that and not um, be negative. It sounds like you just dealt with it just kind of like, oh, I'll just do this party scene for a little bit. So that's really, really interesting is that I think people have to understand that as if you want to succeed and as you climb the ladder of whatever thing you're doing, if you want to become better, you're going to have to level up. Mm -hmm. And with that level up, there is going to be a hit to your ego. And we all have ego and all that type of stuff, but you have to be okay with it. So tell me about some of the, after freshman year, you continue with uh, wrestling a little bit and yeah, so still get after it. Yeah, so uh, the season, things turned around second semester. I was read the riot act by my parents for my behavior. Um, and then uh, I started, I had like a little bit of success. Like I never stopped participating right. in wrestling and practicing and stuff. So I had a little bit of success in some tournaments, like nothing to write home about, but enough that I felt like I wasn't completely a lost cause. And, you know, I definitely, there were some questions as if that's what I wanted to do. But, like, I think it's important to, like, pause and think about it. Like, when you forge a strong enough identity or relationship with something, there's very few questions even when things get bad, right? Like, if you have belief that you are something, whether that's good or bad, no matter what the external feedback is, you still believe that, right? So, like, mm -hmm. even though I was terrible and I sucked, like, in my mind, it was still something that I should be doing. There was the, – the positive feedback had been removed. Yeah. But at the same time, to me, like – the idea of not doing it anymore wasn't really an option. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't think, I don't remember back being like, I'm going to quit or something like that, or like ever saying that yeah. kind of thing. Um, so yeah, freshman year ended, didn't do so great. Um, and then uh, in the summer I went back and I worked like, you know, worked construction, probably a good maturing maturation experience for me with like yeah. all the things that go along with that. And in the meantime, so I would back to my discipline schedule. Um, not a lot of my friends party from home. So I would work like maybe like a 14 hour day, I go in at like four or 5 AM work. And then I would go train at this gym. Um, it was like a sports performance training gym called the, um, the next level. This guy, Rob, Rob Mangino ran it. He still does awesome guy. And I would lift there and then I would go and uh, there was a guy named Blair Tugman who was starting a wrestling club and I would go help out with some of the younger kids, but also get to roll around with one of the kids, the seniors who had graduated was from a town next to me from college and oh, he nice. was there and he would help me out and like school me up a little bit. So I just kind of like stayed diligent with everything. And then when I came back as a sophomore, all those seniors had graduated and I wasn't good by any means, but I didn't suck anymore. Okay. So now the positive feedback started to come back. And like a lot of those kids who had come in as a freshman and had a leg up because their states were core competitive, they hadn't spent all summer now training mm -hmm. at a college level. And like I was able to hold my own. So it was like I kind of reestablished, yeah. you know, my commitment to things and started to flow a little better. I think you might have answered it already, but that's one thing that I always like to ask. And it's kind of what I'm understanding talking to so many people, it's almost kind of a weird question. So I get it. Like you said, when you know that you're quote unquote meant to do something, it's just, that's just what I do. Mm -hmm. Like, and so when I asked this question is admitted that, you know, that was a little difficult transition, high school, that, so what, what made you keep going? Do you remember saying to yourself, like, like, God, I don't want to go today. And then you still went, or do you ever, ha did you ever have any of those conversations do that? Or was just, or was it just like, this is what I do. I, you know, just like breathing, like, what I think so. 
to go even further back in high school. So this is kind of dorky, but I got an award every year because I never missed a single practice from mm. like freshman year all the way up through senior year. So I attended every practice, every competition for wrestling the whole way through. I got every year. Um, then when I got to college and it was like there were some opportunities to miss practice in freshman year, I chose to not be there. So I could have been. It wasn't like I was skipping practice, but I like could have been in practice or I had the opportunity to do something else. I chose else. And I always felt guilty, like mm-hmm. something felt wrong about that decision. So I think like that was a sign to me that like I'm kind of off the path. Yeah. I think the other big factor was that the nice thing about sports, right? These are all amateur sports, so none of this matters for anything in real life. Sure. Is that the relationships you build with the people, especially wrestling is a very individual sport, but you also require like training partners and teammates. There's a team element and also an individual element, but like you need good training partners around. You need good coaches and like the community of our team, like we had a relatively large team, about 45 kids. And remember there's only 10 starters. Okay. So that means that only one out of four, one out of three is actually going to compete, but the other three or four still stay to support. Right. So like we had a really good community and a lot of my still to this day, very good friends were from that group. So leaving that almost would feel like leaving the friends, right? Like losing that participation. So I think those were two of the big factors that made me stay, even though I was doing pretty terrible. Yeah. You touched on something that's happened to me um, on a much smaller scale, but I noticed that when I am consistent about anything, it doesn't make a difference. So like, Right now, for the last like, um, let's see what what month are we in? What? But so about six months, I've been super diligent with my morning routine. Yeah, it's wake up early, meditate, read, work out. Yeah, and I I take rest days, and and even on like um, sometimes I'll take two rest days, but one of the rest days will be just like a small like light jog or something like that. Wake up, meditate, read, work out. Wake up, meditate, read, work out, and. I notice that when I'm consistent, the very first time I ever not consistent is like the hardest yeah. time ever. And the second time's a lot easier, you know, or if I'm like, what just happened with my diet is really, really strict with my diet. And then it was been months and months and months of eating really, really re- regularly. I have a cheat meal, all that type of stuff, but I've been really, really regulated. But then the other day, um, last week or something, I was like, I was in a hurry. I didn't eat all day. You know, and so way past my like intermittent fasting time and stuff like that, I'm like, fuck it. You know, so yeah. I just went and grab, grabbed a burger. And then I was like, all right, fine, I'll just do this. And then I got the chicken and rice at home, and that's all that. But yeah. that burger turned into, ah, screw it. Then we just ended up ordering Grubhub and yeah. something like that. <laughs> and it was just hill. this massive, quick spiral down that happens with that first one. So it's like, the first time, if you're in a consistent thing, whatever you can do to just stay in that consistency. Yeah. And if you get off, do exactly what you did, not what I did, and get right back to it yeah. immediately and just have that, that one kind of hiccup or mistake and then hopefully just try to have amnesia and forget about it so it doesn't hurt your self-image or your mind. Like, oh, I fucked up. I can't yeah. believe I did that. You know, I should have been at that practice or I shouldn't have eaten that. I, I just, I think it's so funny when you're consistent that first time's like, just like such a, we don't, ugh. I mean, until you fail, you don't know how to do it appropriately. So like for anyone, like not to say I did it with grace at the time in any way, but I think like the more times that you fail and then come back to something like the more comfortable you get with your ability to rebound. Right. So everyone, you know, coaches always preach like 
it, like if you quit, it'll get easier the second time or right. Like that thing, that mantra, yeah. but like, I like to turn that on its head and say like, okay, you quit this time, but then you came back the next day and you worked hard, right? Like how many times can you demonstrate? Cause that's resiliency, right? Cause someone who's perfect never struggles because it's easy for them, but someone who falls and then returns and re-strategizes and things, that's much more applicable life skill. That's yeah. resiliency. So I think like being able to fail and learn from and come back and like reassess and, and make a good decision. Like that's almost more important lesson to take yep. from that. Yeah. I don't, the idea of like people being, cause if you look at like superstar athletes, like, um, that were incapable of failing, right. For ego, like John McEnroe, people like that, that did not fail well, mm-hmm. like the eventually, ultimately they, they limited their potential and stuff like that. So, I mean, I think telling like 20 year old me that would be very enlightening to him. Right. You know, this, you know, now being 30, but at the time I didn't think that way, but now yeah. looking back, like the, the missteps and the mistakes and the failures and like the quitting and then coming back and the guilt felt from that, like it was all kind of teaching because now like when you're an adult, the, the failure has bigger consequences. So you can't really be afraid to fail. Otherwise you'll never take action kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I totally, totally agree. It's the way to, to deal with that. So there's kind of two ways, you know, you fail in exactly, I think you're 100% correct because the overwhelming majority, pretty much a hundred percent, whatever, whatever close to a hundred percent of the population is all going to fail, all going to get off the diet, stop their, their morning routine, not put in the extra hours, not they're going to, whatever they're striving for, they're going, going to fail at some point in time. It's when, as soon as that happens, you go, you don't beat, beat yourself up for it and you don't allow yourself to do it again right away. Like you get right back on, just like you said. Yeah. And it's so important to give yourself some grace and go, okay, yeah. I, I messed up, but now I know that, and sometimes you deserve it. You know what? Hey, I've been doing, that's, I've been doing two months straight of 4 a.m. Meditate, read, workout. That's yeah. pretty damn good. Like I deserve to get to sleep until yeah. five or something or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, but I think that's so so important, and that's kind of what I'm I'm hoping to kind of help out is is with the people listening. Is you have someone at your level that has gone through all this type of stuff that the learning is, you know, hey, you you missed that practice or whatever, but give yourself some grace and then just get back on on the train. Yeah, and it sounds a lot easier, but it really is that easy you just have to tell yourself like dude or or girl it's it's all right like you know everybody nobody's perfect in this entire fucking world ever like it's okay just get back to it just don't do it the next day and then the next day and then the next day yeah you know one day at a time type type of stuff it's just so important to give yourself some grace so i 100 percent agree with that because it's going to happen no matter what is everybody yeah i mean clients i work with now like it's just you know i just preach over and over like there's always an opportunity to come back. Just come back. It starts like whatever fall you think you've taken, you can always pull yourself out of kind of thing. And it's just, yeah, that idea that every, you know, it's, it's kind of overstated, but every failure is kind of a growth opportunity and a learning experience. If you choose for it to be, if you Mm -hmm. let it crush you, it will. But if you kind of step back and you're like, well, I fucked up. Yeah. Why did I mess up? And what can I do differently next time? And then that protects your ego because you don't frame it as a defeat. It's only a stepping stone to the next thing. And it's, yeah. it's, it could be a positive thing. But again, when I was 20, definitely did not think right. that way. Right. Yeah. To me, it was, it was soul crushing when I would lose or would not accomplish something. So yeah. it was rough. Yeah. So I want to kind of go into that next area of your life, but sorry, you just, you just said something and I, you said, don't let it crush you. So yeah. let's talk about like, if, if you're just talking to your clients, Yeah. so real quick, per- personal trainer, I want to mm-hmm. go a little bit, we'll circle back because yeah, yeah. I know you do things a little bit different than the average personal trainer, which is really, really cool. But so from your talking to your clients 
and you said, don't let it crush you, what would you tell, tell them? Because I think that's really, really important. Like, what would you say? To, to a client that's had some type of yeah so i'm working like out that. with you i'm i'm doing good i'm and doing good and then i the fall off things and, like that and then you don't see me a week two weeks three weeks and you call me up josh hey what's going on i'm like brandon i'm sorry i know you fucking hate me i i know i failed i like i i'm i just was so embarrassed like i don't know what to do like what do you what do you kind of say or think yeah i think the first thing is like you're dealing with a human being so you check in you ask them if they're okay right like make sure everything's okay because you know Someone, you know, another cliche, I hate them, but everybody's got something going on, right? So like, you don't know the story. Like they might've, they might've missed a week of training and it's not because they don't like you, right? It's because something like some tragedy happened in their life or something like that. So lead with empathy kind of thing, like understand why, and then reassure them that the action they take is in no way an indication of the person that they are or the success that they can have kind of thing. Right. So like what we do our actions are not necessarily our identity. So like you, you did something that you don't identify with. That's why you feel bad with it because this is not who you are. Right. So like if you were okay with eating the shitty food and not training, you wouldn't feel guilty. You feel guilty. Therefore, this is not your identity, which is good news, right? You're rejecting this, but you fell off the path. You went back into habits. So like we start fresh today is day one. What's our, what's our lesson from this? Why did we fall off this time? Was it that um, you forgot to meditate, so your stress levels were high, so you turned to food? Was it that um, you weren't diligent about going to bed early so you could get up to come to the gym with me? Um, and, and what do we do next time to prevent that, right? And if it happens again, what do we learn the second time and kind of thing? And just instilling that idea that like every setback is just we learn, we move forward. doesn't matter. It can happen 100 yeah. times, but eventually it'll stop and move forward. Yeah, that is something so monumental to that I have recently learned like in this last and I'm not exaggerating last year or two is that what you what you just said like my actions are not my identity Mm -hmm. like just because I fucked up doesn't mean I am a fuck up yeah you know just because you know I messed up doesn't mean I messed up yeah you know it's like oh you just you happen to to fall off the wagon you have to eat that shitty food And, and you said it exactly right if you even take it go down like a little deeper probing into that so if we just take this um minor example but it works for anything in life so i i want to eat right and then i could just go and i just fucking pick out and i you know i have pasta and carl's jr and all that type of stuff and i feel shitty about it that's actually telling yourself telling something good because if you felt good about it then that might be different your identity might be something different but you feel bad so you know what's right you know what's wrong and you know you shouldn't do it so in your heart, you have everything going in right. You just had happened to have the wrong action yeah. with it. So you're still a good person. Mm-hmm. You know, there was this comedian. I talked about it with this other um, comedian I had on uh, Leo Flowers. And we were talking about, um, do you remember this comedian? He's since passed away, but Patrice O'Neill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was talking about him, uh, Leo Flowers, and, and I were talking about him. And Patrice said something good. All this people saying things right now that like, are offensive but they're f- come from a comedian only coming yeah. they're offensive people are like picketing patrice goes whether they're 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 not funny they make you upset they offend you or you laugh hysterically it all comes from the exact same spot in the heart which yeah. is they're all trying to do something good which is make you laugh they just happen to not be good at it yeah you're all you're trying to do something good in in this example of of get fit and eat right. You just happen. You're just not totally good at it yet. You just yeah. happen to misstep. Yeah. So it's all good. 
And it's so important to give yourself, once again, give yourself that grace in that just exactly what you said, your actions are not your identity. It just happens to be something you did. Yeah. I think we, so socially, we look at examples of what we want to be, right? And then when we act and we do not act like that, we are very guilty and we feel bad about what we've done. But I think culturally we don't associate behavior as a learning process, Mm. right? So like you, you just, the, like, sort of like the puritanical discipline that our country sort of like exemplifies is just like, I'm going to will myself to do something, but like, just as you, like, you didn't walk into a math classroom and instantly know calculus, right? You, you don't decide you are going to live a healthy life and instantly live it. Like it's a learning process that involves making mistakes learning from those mistakes and moving forward. But, you know, socially there's not a lot of grace given for fucking up. Right. So like you, you're a failure if you mess up at this or not. So like looking at behavior as a learning process, just as much as we learn, look at skill acquisition as a learning process. I mean, I think that's one of the big points that I coach. It's like, you're learning how to be the person that you're trying to be right. Like, you know, just like you have to learn to be like a wrestler or a football player, a basketball player, or to be, you know, anything like a, you know, a physicist doesn't come out of physicist. There's a lot of learning and mistakes made in that process. Yeah. It's the same thing for like habits that we want to form. And it's like, you're talking about too, just like the diligence of practice. Like if you're good or you're bad, as long as you keep trying, you're going to hit some level of success with yep. whatever you're trying to do. Maybe, maybe you're never the best, most nutritious eater, but if you try, you will become better than you currently are kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really, really good. All right. So transitioning, you get, get out of college, you decide, I know the Olympics call, called you and said, Hey, we want you. And you're like, <laughs> I'm busy. Yeah. I got shit to do. Just so everyone knows that, you know, with, we were talking about on the ride over here, you know, with, with uh, wrestling, there outside of the Olympics, I mean, there really is no other kind of professional, and I'm not talking about WWE or yeah. something like that. You know? Yeah. No. So there's. Uh, I mean, I when I graduated, so I graduated from college in 2011, um, and UFC was big. So some of my friends like pursued mixed martial arts as like an avenue, and like some did reasonably well, like an amateur level, but nothing like no one got in the UFC or anything mm-hmm. like that. But I mean, I just gone to school. Um, and I didn't want to get punched in the head. Yeah. Um, I tried jujitsu for a little bit, but it's not the same to me. Um, so I kind of walked away from the sport, you know, I had, it left a little bit of an ugly taste in my mouth, the way that my career ended through my own doing nobody else's. Um, so I kind of like pushed it away from my life, rejected it. And now something that I'd done for the last 10 years of my life, basically nonstop fully consuming was like from a hundred to zero. Mm -hmm. So it was like completely gone. All my competitive outlet, my reason for discipline, all those things went from like present to just completely gone overnight yeah um so then there was that was the toughest transition was not from high school to college it was from college to adult life minus this thing i spent all my time on for about a decade yeah what are some negative thoughts that you were thinking of because that that couldn't have been easy you couldn't have just been like all right well good i'm (laughs) done with that all right on to the next thing what's going through your head at that time yeah i mean it had been so all-consuming in a lot of ways like it was had been so important to me that like I had gone to school, like I'd been injured in college. I had had my sur- I'd missed a season because I had had my shoulder surgically repaired. And in that time I needed a competitive outlet. So I turned to, um, to school. So I just was like, I'm going to be the best student possible 
kind of thing. So that was sort of like, I found a way, it was like a lesson in redirecting my energy to a positive thing. So mm -hmm. I learned that it's like, you could be something other than athlete, you know? So that, that became like my secondary identity. So like, I was never like the best wrestler, right. Mm -hmm. In college, but I was like, I was always academic all American. So I like, my grades were always like very high. And then I was decent enough at wrestling to combine the two things. Um, so when I got out, I kind of like, didn't know what I was going to do. Um, when I moved to California, it was in like the throes of still like the recession was going on a little later here for teachers. I went to school to be a high school teacher mm -hmm. and it was very hard to find a job. So eventually I did get a job teaching in um, East LA and Boyle Heights teaching high school. But again, no like outlet for all yeah. the physical things that I had done. I partied a little bit, like, you know, yeah. a little bit of the college style partying still going on in the weekends and stuff. Went to the gym, but not like the, I was kind of like, li you know, listless, kind of just like drifting. Mm -hmm. Didn't really have like an outlet for that energy. So tell me, how many times during your teacher career did you think about body slamming some of those flapjawn fucking kids? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, uh, so as much as as much as uh, I participated in a very physical sport, like I'm not physical violence i wasn't yeah. raised in a house where where physical violence was ever used as like a solution to things some of those kids are cocky as fuck i've seen these, <laughs> I've seen these teenagers now yeah no respect for authority yeah i'm None. not saying i haven't been in fights or anything like uh, that but um i was i was lucky enough to have been well taught and have good mentors in the okay. teaching community that taught me how to diffuse situations yeah. much more efficiently because having been in fights i know that doesn't actually diffuse anything right. it just creates more problems so yeah i mean there were some kids that probably needed to get their ass kicked but definitely a stressful situation to be in i want to kind of move in so you you have this kind of wrestling career go, goes by but through that knowingly or unknowingly you know you cultivate this kind of iron mind or at least yeah. in my opinion and you know since we got to know each other you're like one of the nicest guys super friendly but so you start your i want to fast forward you start to you have your personal training business yeah hold on just a sec because you have something that really really struck me and i can tell when you know you and i just hang out and kind of talk about it let me see here so one of the things when you go through your process uh working with people start by listening to their story and better better understand them that is like a little bit different than anything i've ever heard from a personal trainer before yeah so i want to kind of go through it's your process when you bring on a, an individual like a new client? Yeah, like a new yeah. client because so I really I, like that. I have to I have to give credit to like my teaching experience. So I worked with kids from a very low socioeconomic background, come from a lot of broken homes and things like that. And like the biggest thing is that they don't give you respect. You have to earn their respect and you earn someone's respect by caring about them, mm -hmm. right? And you have to take a legitimate interest and kids are much better at adults than sensing bullshit. So – if you're not genuine, you're not honest in your empathy, they don't, they will not mess with you. Yeah. Right. And then you can't, you can't have them in a classroom and things like that. So I kind of learned early on in that environment that like, unless you get to what someone cares about, you have no ability to help them or to do anything. So you have to understand them at a deep level. Yeah. You know, so when someone comes to me and they're like, I want to lose 20 pounds, that's great. Everybody does. Why do you want to lose 20 pounds? So yeah. what, what is the significance of that to you? And then it's like, well, I want to look better. Well, why do you want to look better? Well, you know, I want to wear these clothes. Well, why do you want to wear these clothes? Well, I want to wear these clothes because I'll look better. And it's just this circle. And eventually you got down to, well, I want to look better because, you know, like I want to attract a partner or something like that. And then it's like, well, 
why do you think looking better will attract a partner? And it's like, well, you know, mm-hmm. you'll boil down to some really deep, nasty stuff or it's like, well, when I was little, like my, you know, my brother and my sister call me fat and no one would like me and things like that. And it's like until that person uncovers the deep, deep reason for what they're looking for externally, like yeah. it's never going to happen. They'll self-sabotage themselves over and over and over without knowing the reason why. But once they can identify with the true motivation behind what they're looking for, mm-hmm. that's when you can be like, finally, like the quote unquote breakthrough comes through. So if you just keep, it's like treating the symptom rather than the cause of something yeah. over and over. I think well, two things with that. One, I want to go, go back. So I agree with you that kids uh, about the bullshit meter, I think adults are better at detecting bullshit. We're just too big of sissies <laughs> to say yeah. to say it, yeah you know that's probably true and they and they haven't cultivated have no that filter. no filter yeah. so which i which is one of the reasons i know i said like screw those little kids earlier but that's one of the things i really love kids is that they'll tell you you know my friend's little four-year-old girl goes why why do you have that bump in your nose yeah Bitch, I will fuck you up. <laughs> how like, dare wait, you? Yeah. How dare you talk to me like that? Going down to the root cause. So in your experience, what is a common theme of some of the root causes of people coming coming to you? The idea that making your physical appearance better will lead to acceptance, right? Social acceptance or acceptance from a partner or something like that. Yeah. So that your physical identity is somehow attached to your worth, to society at large, right? And like, look at our society, right? Look at and scroll through Instagram, right? Like, yeah. how could someone not take that message from what's going on there? Um, so, you know, even as men, like we have this archetype that we're supposed to be muscular and lean and look a certain way and act a certain way. And if we don't live up to that image, we can't attract a partner and things like that. So, I think like dealing with the idea that like whether you lose the weight or not, you're still a good person. Like you're still an awesome person, but it behooves you to be healthy, right? So like if losing weight makes you a healthier person, then you can do whatever it is you want to do better, right? But don't lose the weight because you think people are going to like you more. Mm -hmm. No one likes skinny people more than they like overweight people. That's a complete misconception. Like I don't don't look at someone and be like, well, I'm not going to be your friend because you're overweight or because you're too skinny. It's the person inside, but making that person healthier makes their quality of life better, which makes them happier. So if that makes them a better, more enjoyable person to be around, then sure. Yeah. yeah the weight loss is important, but not for the sense that like you're going to, your life is instantly going to get better. Like how many, how that's like people that want to get rich because they think it'll make them happy. Yeah. And then they find that they're just alone now. So it's like yeah. that, that same kind of like, like fool's errand to try to pursue the wrong thing for the wrong reason. So like, I kind of counsel people. I'm like, look, you're already awesome. Like yeah. we're not going to change anything about you other than the fact that you, you have a little bit more energy and your clothes are a little smaller Yeah, and you, you, you know, that's it. So that's one thing that's really, 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 really difficult to get across to people is that, you know, when someone after this podcast air, airs and they go, when they look at your website, they're going to be like, yeah, it's a lot easier, easy for you to say that with, you know, your, 22 inch arms in your six pack and stuff like that. <laughs> like, you know, good looking dudes. It's, it's easier for good looking people to be like, Oh, looks isn't everything. It's easier for rich people to be like, Oh, money isn't everything. Yeah. But it really is the case. And because the thing is, is that it's not everything. It's the fact that you don't have to look like, like you in order to feel like you do. It's the, your clients and stuff like that. All of a sudden they go from, you know, doing five pound dumbbells to doing, eight pound dumbbells or 10 pound or 20 pounds, you know, and it's that 
those little tiny wins that make them healthier, the physical side, but then yeah. slowly, unknowingly or knowingly, and the thing that sounds like you do really well is constantly telling them, like, look how good you did, or look, you're still good. Yeah. You're still still great. You look good, but your, your insight is better, meaning that I didn't think I could ever do this, and now I can do this, and yeah. so now you feel better inside. You may not look like an Adonis, yeah. but you feel better inside, and if you feel good inside, and if you truly have self-love void of narcissism, yeah. then it really doesn't matter what you look like outside. Yeah. And it's so funny is that this last year or so, I've talked about it on another podcast, I've always been motivated by money and I've always been motivated motivated by looks. Yeah. And as I get get older or as I've gotten older, the looks have starting to gone away and went through some money issues, so now that's kind of gone, gone away, but this last year I've really cultivated a the strongest self-love void of narcissism that I've ever had in my 37 years. And yeah. so I enjoy, I have no problem taking off, off my shirt. And oddly enough, I look the best I've ever looked in 37 years. So it's so <laughs> fucking weird that once I started to work from the inside, yeah. everything outside started to be okay. Yeah. You know, and I wasn't so concerned with it and i was so like yeah this is who i am it's it is yeah i don't know what to tell you my hair's falling out part of the far, part of the fucking deal <laughs> it's it's, it, it always fades it, everything goes away yeah but it's so important that it's all about an inside job it sounds so cliche it sounds so fucking dumb but that's one of the things that why mental health and physical health are so intertwined yeah because what you do and and i love the fact that you do it on a deeper level versus a vanity level yeah. You know, because if you go to the average um, fitness person thing, it's always like, I will get you in the best shape. I will make you lose 30 pounds. I'll, you'll be ready for that ball or that prom in 30 days, 10 yeah. days, 10 tips, eight minutes this, seven minutes that. But if you drill down and, and treat the person first, yeah. you will always win in the end. Yeah. And they'll, they leave you a lot, feeling a lot better about themselves than than maybe some, some other, 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 you know, people that they would go to. Uh, and that's the most important thing. If you can figure out that inside shit, yeah. that outside sh stuff takes care of itself. Mm -hmm. It's Very so true. fucking, so fucking in insane. Yeah. It's so interesting. And it's, once again, I know if you're listening to this and you're like, but you don't understand. Like, I, I need to be a billionaire. I need to look like that. And like, you need to figure <laughs> yeah, out yeah. this stuff. I, th I think highly question what your motivation is between anything you're willing. Because if you understand what that means, right? Like, if if you want to have, if you want to look like that person you see on Instagram with a six-pack, you have to understand the amount of sacrifice that that person makes, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so that person that you see, whether they're a bodybuilder or whatever thing, that is their entire life. All the things that you do for fun, you go out with your friends on the weekend, you have some wings, you watch football, and you 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 know, you eat whatever, whenever you want, you go to sleep whenever you want, you sit around, you watch Netflix, that person doesn't have the luxury of doing that. Mm -hmm. So there's a level of sacrifice. So if you truly want that, it's always good to take stock knowing the sacrifice you'll have to make. Do you truly want that? And why? Right? Yeah. Like, if you want to be a billionaire, and you want to have a billion dollars, then the amount of sacrifice that goes into that, like that will consume your life and just an opportunity cost balance, right? Like, what are you giving up in exchange for that? Right. Yeah. Is it worth it to you? And I think that's a good way to evaluate. Like all of clients come in, they're like, I want to lose 30 pounds by such and such date. I'm like, okay, you can do it, but here's what it's going to take. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm like, I'm not going to bullshit you. This is exactly what it'll take. Right. Yeah. Like I'd rather be honest with you than take your money and sell you on a false promise because of my own reputation. I wouldn't feel good about it. And then like sometimes when you outline it, they're like, you know, I don't think I really want that. Yeah. Then I'm like, well, here, and they're like, well, what's more realistic? And I'm like, okay, so like, what can't you give up? And they're like, well, you know, every like Sunday, 
my friends, like my friends and I, we get together, we have brunch and we have mimosas. I'm like, cool, a non-negotiable. You have to be able to do that. Considering that and your other life factors, this is what's realistic in said time frame, yeah. right? Because like you only get one opportunity and like to, to be with, sit with someone and be honest with them in that sense. And it's like, you might as well take that yeah. opportunity. That's actually really, really good to do like non-negotiables. So one of the things, regardless, discount the uh, beer that we got, but <laughs> so the NBA finals are going on and I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to have cocktails on all the NBA finals, but yeah. everything else I'm not. Yeah. But that like still makes me feel like I get to have in sounds bad maybe it's not the right mentality i still get to enjoy life a little, little bit versus having my chicken and rice and in my water and stuff when i wanted want to have a cocktail because i had a rough day at work or yeah. deal didn't go through or something like that so it's nice to set that up front and go okay what do you really what are all the bad things or things that may not service your goal yeah and put that in there now yeah and go okay brunch cool yeah all right a beer beers for for um Laker games? How many Laker games? There's yeah. one a week. Okay, that's good. Factor it yeah, in. Yeah, no problem. We can do it. Do that. Yeah, I that's think really really cool. Especially people that are you know they want to be high achievers or they want to accomplish a goal. We have this romanticized idea of like the lone pursuit of something, right? Like I'm gonna go all in. Like I'm gonna focus all my effort and I'm gonna work my ass off and I'm achieving. There's something romantic about this person like struggling and ignoring all areas of their life and being very one dimensional yeah. in pursuit of this goal. It's like the reality is that like that works for some people, but like even if you look at those people that are so one dimensional, in a lot of ways they suffer, right? We have these people that we hold in high esteem, like the Steve Jobs or these people, and it's like you know we pay attention only to one very small facet of their life. How much did they suffer in not making connections with people? Yeah. Like how many brunches did they miss because he was working so hard? And then again, there's people that are very satisfied and fulfilled by being on one path, mm -hmm. right? But I would say the majority of us like the average person like needs a variety in their life and they need relationships and they need some discipline. And they need a lot of things. So like this idea that you can only achieve by pursuing one thing straight ahead is, is just a misnomer and it's unhealthy because then it makes people feel guilty when they don't accomplish that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And those people, those people usually aren't the funnest to be around because they're so myopically focused yeah. on that one thing. And so they can only talk about, Steve Jobs only talks about <laughs> Apple. I was, this is years and years and years ago, but I was sitting down with this guy, gentleman's name is Bob Moran. He used to be the CEO of PetSmart. Now he's the CEO of GNC. He used to be the CEO of Sears Mexico. Um, at the time, I think he was in his early 60s, but, you know, it was worth $100 million. You know, I was having lunch, just him and I, and I was like coming up through the, the corporate career and I was lucky enough to get his ear for a little bit. And I was sitting there, I was like, I want to be CEO. How do I do that? Yeah. And he goes, well, this is what I did. The last 30 years, I've lived in 30 countries. Um, I haven't got married. I don't have any kids, but I have a, a fuck ton of money. Yeah. I get to help build businesses. And if you want to do that, just what you have to do is take every single opportunity. And then, then he went into all that type of yeah. other stuff. So I'm just pulling out those things for the conversation. But yeah. I was like, oh, I and at the time I was with Jeanette, I already knew, you know, I already told her I loved her. I was already in my head that I was going to marry her. And I was like, well, I, I can't just pull her away. I was like, oh, maybe I don't want to be CEO. Because <laughs> yeah. to your point, you don't know what people sacrifice to get to that yeah. to that spot. And those people that we hold in that seam, I think you're absolutely right. Like, we think it's like Steve Jobs and, and Kobe Bryant are these awesome people, and they are. And we think that since they're awesome in their, this area, that everything else in their life is awesome. Yeah. Well, we've seen, you know, the Steve Jobs documentary. Not everything else was so 
Beautiful. So yeah. awesome, you know? I mean, we need those people, don't get me wrong. They move the needle for yeah, society. For but sure. at the same time, like, we have to look at the whole picture because if we hold them in such a high esteem and we make the mistake of aspiring to accomplish, we have to recognize that there will be sacrifice. And to bring that back down to the human level, like when you look at an Instagram model or you look at some type of like body aspiration or something like that, like appreciate that that person doesn't might be coming from a bad place. They might be coming from a place of fear and pursuing that. And it's clearly a very strong motivator, but like is that person fulfilled by looking like that or being that way? Like you currently in the state that you're in trying to change maybe infinitely more fulfilled than they are looking like that. Mm -hmm. And that's like an important thing for people to know before they go into, you know, lifestyle change or something like that. Yeah. Well, I'll ask it openly, but I believe that they'll, these, what you'll say will uh, work for a lot of people. So taking that average individual, they come to you or maybe super overweight doesn't make it make a difference. And they, they come to you. What, what advice would you give them to start on the process to becoming fit, physically fit, you know, mentally, physically, not just like eating, all that type of stuff. What would you, how would you talk to them first day one to everything? Uh, move every day for an hour. That's very simply like the, the threshold, the barrier to entry is very low, right? Mm -hmm. Like I need you to move. Even if you work at an office, you have a free hour in the day move for an hour. You can even walk in on a treadmill and look at your phone and watch Netflix. It doesn't matter but it's about building habits, right? So like physical activity needs to be a habit, right? It's not even about weight management. Um, our, our body is a use it or lose it machine. So if you stop moving, your body will break down much faster. So you have to move. So okay. just overall health, whether it's weight management, anything. So the first thing is like, you have to move every day, like move your body. So one of the things I, let me see if you agree. Hopefully you agree. Cause I've been, um, saying this and talks giving this advice so hopefully this is right yeah so i've been talking about starting small and what i mean is come january 1st we all have these friends that on average they go to the gym one day a week uh -huh. and they go january 1st here comes the uh, the new year's resolution brandon fuck this i'm done i'm finally fucking finished with this i'm going five days a week yeah and then boom first week five days a week awesome second week their body shuts down yeah. And it's because they try to go for this, what's one to five, 400% increase? <laughs> yeah. 400% increase in effort? Yeah. I mean, I would gladly cut my finger off for a 400% return in the stock market, yeah. let alone, I mean, how are you going to do it in effort? So hopefully you, you agree with me, and I know I'm leading the witness, but wouldn't you say to kind of start small and and build on that? or? Yeah, I, I think there's two, there's, not that there's two types of people, but things work differently for different people. I think that like, for some people, incremental change is less intimidating and more effective. Mm -hmm. There are other people that are cold turkey people. They're all or nothing. So, uh, you know, know thyself kind of thing for people. So I'm I'm an all or nothing kind of person um, to my sometime to my detriment yeah. um, with things both good and bad. Um, but the majority of people, I think, benefit mostly from incremental change. Um, and also things happen in fits and starts. Right. So like people will do a little bit and then they'll back off and then they'll do a little bit and eventually almost like an engine turning over it'll mm -hmm. catch. So I think, yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's very beneficial to, to start small and build the habit, right? The way that our brain works is pattern recognition to save us mental processing power. So if you can create a small habit, it's very easy to grow it into a bigger habit. So it's easy to start a small one and grow it much more than just a full scale, start a big habit, like, and, you know, jumping into an hour or things like that yeah. a day. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing I coach people is that like fitness is part of your life. You have to incorporate it into the life that you have, but it has to be part of your life in some way. And that can mean any form of physical fitness. I don't, I don't 
like the, my training is the way that I choose to do things. But as long as someone's moving, I'm for it, whether it's Zumba, Pilates, whatever, I don't care. I'm yeah. just happy that people are doing something with their body. Um, but yeah, I, I think like small starts, if you can get people in, whatever has the lowest barrier of entry to get in is the best thing to start with. Okay. And then, um, on that same thing, but just changing from kind of a physical, what type of mental advice would you give somebody kind of starting Starting out, mm-hmm. you're going to fuck up. Yes. <laughs> you're going to fuck up more times than you're going to do well at first. Yeah. And not only is that not okay, that's exactly what you want to happen because lessons aren't learned until you do. Yeah. Um, and I think making people, right? So um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Carol Dweck. Uh, yeah. The, um, yes, yes. What, what's growth that Growth mindset? Yes. Right. Yeah. So it's this idea that um, people that enter – uh, a failure experience with the idea that it's a learning experience rather than a failure are infinitely more happy and infinitely more successful mm-hmm. because rather than their ego taking a hit every time they see failure as an opportunity to get better. Right. So like if you can coach a client through the idea that like, okay, this weekend I predict that you're going to eat pizza. It's going to happen. Like yeah. we know it's going to happen. What are you going to do after? What's your next meal going to be? Are you going to say, fuck it? Is it going to be wings? Or are you going to mm-hmm. be like, Oh, I had that pizza. I'll eat a salad this meal and then just get back on the train. And it's like coaching people through failure ahead of time, anticipating it and like teaching them that it's okay, provided you bounce back. And that's, that's an important thing with like the, the mental strategy because it, then it gives them the comfort to fail, right? A lot of times we're afraid to fail, but if you have the comfort to do it and then rebound and come back, Mm -hmm. it makes you much more secure and just kind of living your life and not having this over your shoulder the whole time. Yeah. That's just so, so important to to understand that there's going to be bumps and bruises and everyone, when you say like, you know, this isn't, you know, you start a business or you start to do something that, you know, it's not going to be like straight up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that yeah. to like literally think about that, you know, like, okay, I'm going to mess up. What do I do when I mess up? So when it does happen, you go, okay, yep. Yeah. You know, Brandon told me I was going to do it. I, I knew I was going to do it. it it's still going to suck. It's Don't still, get me wrong. Right. right. Like if someone tells you you're going to fall on your face, when you fall on your face, it still hurts. Right. But at least, then when you get up, you're like, oh, I know this was going to happen. Now I do this kind right. of thing. It's very helpful. Yeah. 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 So I think um, as we're kind of closing out, out the time, first, I want to say thank you again. I really, really appreciate you doing this. Um, it was kind of really cool to kind of give a little background to everybody else. Not that it matters, but your wife and my, or your girlfriend. girlfriend sorry. Girlfriend, yeah. Sorry. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I'll, I'll edit that out. I'll edit that. Your girlfriend and my wife are good friends and stuff yeah. like that. We've got to hang out and had some yeah. good conversations. And I uh, just wanted to t- talk to you because I enjoy having deeper conversations because I surface talks are all fine and good, yeah. but uh, I enjoy talking to people that are a little bit deeper than a puddle if you get my drift. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I really appreciate you doing this. <laughs> no, I love that. Thank you very much for having me on. And then lastly, I just want to kind of go tell everybody where can they find you, Instagram, email, all that type of stuff. And then um, what's what's kind of your differentiator? What's your business uh, about and versus some other folks? Sure. I have a, my website is uh, brandedsunwallfitness.com. Um, and then uh, my Instagram is at brandedsunwallfitness. You know, my my sort of model, my coaching model, right? So there's the training, which is the physical aspect, but the coaching is I can't get the teacher out of me, even though I'm not in a classroom anymore, is that, you know, my mission is kind of to empower my clients so that even if we no longer work together face to face, that they have the tools to kind of continue the change without me. So, mm-hmm. you know, my, my goal is to give you sort of like the sort of mental 
toughness structure that you're looking for, right? To the fortitude to bounce back and come back as well as just like the practical knowledge of like, what the hell do I do when I go to the gym? Right. And then like, you know, I have clients sort of like getting their, their significant other or their, their family members involved in fitness now because of what they learned and stuff. So that's like my big thing is just kind of like physical fitness has been a huge part of my life and just kind of paying it, paying it forward sort of to other people like that. Well, brother, like, like I said, I, I just really, really, um, commend you for doing that because everyone, everyone under the sun can teach somebody how to, how to do stuff. Um, but it takes a much, in my opinion, better person to care about the person, not just want to take their money and just do the outside, but the inside stuff, um, as well. So it's really, really cool. I oh, really think that's a it. big de- differentiator. Um, I'm not giving you a line of bullshit just cause you're on a podcast or anything. It would be serious. <laughs> yeah. But with that, I'll say thank you. That's about it. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, man. See ya. Thanks.